0: The Australian Football Video Film Festival podcast is proudly brought to you by leagetees.com.au, the retro footy fan gear that makes every week retro round. The League Tees footy shop is packed with footy tees, retro footy jumpers, hoodies, and all things retro footy. That's leagetees.com.au.
1: Fantastic. Name the game series from
2: Australian football. Have you ever bought or rented a videotape that wasn't quite right? Folks, let me warn you
0: it's bruising, bloody, and very much in your face. And we've pulled out stuff that would make a 16 stone wharfie cry.
2: quarter, but a hundred minutes of top-footy action.
1: Welcome to the 90s, the decade that delivered. It was a 10-year period in football unlike any other this century. The electrifying
2: 80s, the highs and lows of a dynamic decade of football. Over the next two hours, relive some of the most exciting moments in VFL football in the Sensational City. The Peter Hudson story, Dublin's gym, the story of Jimmy Steins, the road to victory, Collingwood's struggle to the Premiership and the year of the Rising Saints, St Kilda's fight to the 1991 Finals.
0: Welcome to the Australian Football Video Film Festival. I'm Dylan Leach. The Mission. St Kilda's 1997 season. Stan Elves and his men embarked on a mission in 1997. The objective was to win the AFL Premiership. And how close they came. This is the story of the Saints in '97, Their record-breaking run of 10 wins that propelled them from near the bottom to the very top end at the end of the home and away season. A player named Robert Harvey who won the Brownlow and a grand final appearance at last after 26 years in the wilderness. This is St Kilda's story told by the men who were there. They were saints on a mission. My guest this week is sports reporter, footy writer for The Age and a St Kilda tragic who went to the 2010 grand final, the full David Putty by painting his face. It is none other than Daniel Cherney.
1: The only vote on the ground, Dennis, you give a chance when you're tonight. Yes. It's been so accurate. The Saints are through. After so many years in the wilderness. And I doubt if there was anybody outside of the 42 who really would have thought that they had any hope of achieving what they did. These guys went on record. Amongst themselves, and I mean, that's the biggest test. They sat down and they formulated a mission.
0: My reviewer this week is Daniel Cherney, and we're focusing in on the mission, St Kilda, in 1997. Daniel, welcome to the Australian Football Video Film Festival. Dylan. Good to be with you. Daniel, St Kilda, 1997. Paint the picture and give us a personal perspective on it.
3: Uh, oh, it was a really um, memorable time of my life. Um, I was born in October 1990, so I'm um, sixth in uh, the 1997 season. Uh, I got into footy um, in 1996, the previous year. Uh, my dad is, is a St Kilda supporter, and unlike uh, yourself, I actually stuck with uh, the same <laughs> um, internal uh, guidance. Um, whether that was the right call or not uh, is probably up in the air. But um, yeah, so '96 uh, was the first year I started going to the footy. Um, I went to a, a game against Melbourne in the early rounds of '96. That was the first game that I went to. It was actually an Optus Oval of all places because the MCG was unavailable. I think they had the Centenary Ball there that week. Um, and I went to the game with the, the blackout game. Um, in uh against Essendon, of course. Only the Saturday night part. I my dad didn't let me go the, t- the Tuesday night when I finished that game. Um actually to be fair, that that's probably more my mum who wouldn't let me go. But um yeah, so um so ninety yeah, but by ninety seven I was hooked, um you know consuming all things footy. Um, you know my, my dad would record all the the uh, take all the um the, the Saturday night replays Friday night replay, you know and I'd watched them, you know, religiously. And um, even at that age, I was, you know, uh, looking at the teams and tips in the paper. Um, And so by 97, um, it was already a huge part of my life. And uh, just happened to coincide with, um, you know, uh, what was a very memorable year, one of the most memorable years in St Kilda's uh, tragic history. Um, and, And just an incredible year even from the broader BFL, AFL, Competition—a um, very even season. as sort of um, gets um, discussed uh, during uh, the masterpiece of the mission. You—you
0: uh, you obviously had this video, the mission. I'm assuming that you were a consumer of many a St Kilda video back in the day. Um, before we get into focusing on the mission, St Kilda in 1997, I feel obliged, and I think I have to ask this: Do you own the Winning Streak DVD box set? <laughs> <laughs> uh yes, we certainly we certainly bought it uh in
3: 2004. I don't know where it is now or you know whether you know what we did with it. I think we probably still have it somewhere. Um my parents' house, but uh yeah, no, we did get that one. Oh, we, yeah, we got we got a all I mean, we got the um oh, there was a film called The Young Guns uh DVD highlights package. Um there was we used to, I think we would rent from our, you know, video library a couple of the, um, the '91 and '92 highlights packages. I think my grandma brought me the, the, the Robert Harvey video that was made in the late '90s. Uh, there was one called, I think, Heaven and Hell at the history of the Templeton Club. Um, you know, uh, we got the, had the 96 think the Cup. Like, we had them all. So, yeah, the short short
0: answer is yes, definitely. Oh, so you're the perfect person to uh, come on and talk about the mission. And one thing I like about this particular season review video um, is that a lot of effort is actually put into this one. This... I think uh, in the pre-production phase, obviously the good folk at Australian football video got wind that this could be the year of the Saints. So they've really gone to the effort of making the St Kilda Highlights video, knowing that this could be an all-time bestseller. And it probably was anyway, uh, despite the results. Spoiler alert. Um, But what I like about (laughs) it is that it's broken up into acts, like a good film should. Like all of the great films, it's broken up into acts. And it opens with the struggle.
3: Yeah, um, no, it doesn't. And it was, uh, it's funny, those those acts, I don't mean, know, I, I could remember them, you know, as vividly as you know, from watching it you know, more than 20 years ago now, um, which is amazing to think, but uh, yeah, it was very, it was very um, clearly delineated. Uh, and it, you're right, it, it was a struggle because um, as is outlined very clearly in those, in, in the video, um, which brilliantly narrated by Craig Willis, they had come off, um, I mean to set the scene a bit. They, they, uh, Stan Elves is entering his fourth season as coach. Um, they made the finals in '91, '92 after a long drought um, under Ken Sheldon. Sheldon, uh, after up and down '93, got got the sack. Elves came in '94. Um, leaves at the end of '94, but uh, they, they really are rebuilding. '95 half they were you know really poor. They were lost to Fitzroy and right down the bottom, and then the back up of '95 they they sort of. His I'd also
1: just like to thank uh, St. all the St Kilda supporters who have come out today. Absolutely wonderful.
3: magnificent. Um, I could just on. ask you one thing. Dig deep and buy a membership because this is our year. Thank you. Hey
2: right, guys, the, the players of St Kilda Football Club have made a commitment that we're going to make St Kilda a successful football club. So we've proven our bit tonight. We're going to go on with it. And I hope you can prove your bit and make St Kilda a strong football club up where we deserve.
3: And um, they lost the first three. And, you know, they showed glimpses in 96 but <clears throat> ended up just missing the finals with a 10-12 record. I think they finished 10th. Um, so they entered 97, you know, with a pretty good experienced core. They got some kids who were coming through. Um, you know, expectations should have been reasonable. Um, but then they... Um, and they make the semi-finals, of the Ansett Cup, and then they plummet to um, to one and four um, early '97. And um, you know, Al's Al's future is a is huge. It's, a, it's, a, it's discussed in the movie. It's a, it's a hot topic, and he almost, um, you know, I think he offers his resignation famously that's turned down. Um, and and um, from there, they start to turn it round.
0: I do like in the early part of the mission. They do include uh, the '97 preseason games. Um, <laughs> And it starts with Nathan Burke in the rooms addressing the boys because obviously pre-season they the clubs are a bit more flexible with what Channel Seven can do. So it's got uh, Burkey addressing the boys uh, in the rooms at Bruce Stadium prior to a game against Sydney. And uh, what I am impressed with is that Craig Willis refers to uh, St Kilda in the Ancet Cup as the reigning premiers.
2: I'm First you get, play a tackle, it. You get it all began on the first of March, an ANZAC Australia Cup match against Sydney at Bruce Stadium in Canberra. The reigning premiers facing the Swans, who were without their star Tony Lockett.
3: Well, I suppose it really it, it shows, I and mean, it is funny now, but it does show that at the time it was, yeah, you know, that was the mindset. I mean, the, the ANSET Cup was. Tony, one of my first, one of my first memories of, at all is. um, not like So big was the Anfet Cup. But then 96, when I was just starting to understand footy, like my dad said, oh, you know, we won the premiership. Um, and like I remember going to kids at school and saying, oh, we won the premiership. And kids say, like, no, they can't on the premiership. But, the, <clears throat> but St Kilda, you know, had won uh, a premiership of sorts. Um, and the pre-season was a big deal. I mean, you as a Richmond fan, you know, 93, whatever it was, at Waverley, when they got huge crowds, the Essendon game. And then uh, I think that's 66,000 or 68,000 at Waverley um for the Carlton game, uh, and then they bumped the Blues um in an epic um you know, epic win at um at Waverley that night. I think you know, ten goals. Uh so yeah they did enter um ninety seven as reigning premiers and it was uh you know, it was seen to be a pretty big deal.
0: So, your ANSET Cup campaign, you don't win it. Uh, you, you fail to go back-to-back back in the ANSET Cup. A grand final rematch in the semi-final, a loss by 10 points. And then the 97 season starts, and you're playing Hawthorne in the clash of Waverley Park co-tenants at the time. And uh, there is... Uh, it was a bit of a close one, and... Um, you know Craig Willis of course points out that the Saints uh, you know they walk the walk in the they they walk the walk in the pre-season but when the season proper kicks in they struggle
2: the progress made in the pre-season competition was not carried on into the season proper against Hawthorne at night on the joint home territory of Waverley the Saints would play only one winning quarter you
3: know after the, after the promise of the pre-season Hawthorn was becoming up a pretty tumultuous previous six to nine months with the, with the merger with Melbourne. Um, they'd just sort of been just ahead of the Saints the previous year. A disappointing loss. Um, and then the following week in Brisbane, well, that was, um, that was a real disaster.
0: Yeah, I mean, you lost to the newly named Brisbane Lions. That was actually the very first game Brisbane played as the Lions at the Gabba, uh, which was a 97-point 97 def- 97 defeat at the hands of them, but uh, and uh, you mentioned that the pressure was on Stan Elves earlier, and he offered his resignation. Well, did the boys play for Stan or what in round three against the Pies at Waverley, the unbeaten Collingwood at Waverley, I should say?
3: Yeah, the, the round three game that was, um, as Will touches, Craig Willis touches onto the Jocko. You know, it, it was, um, it was, it, it was one of the. Um, probably you know, a, a portent of things to come.
2: Unbeaten Collingwood. St Kilda yet to register a win. 54,000 at Waverley were expecting a one-sided encounter. This would be the first we saw of the Saints of 97. Hard at the ball. Prepared to put their bodies on the line. Well,
3: that they they dropped the next couple. But um, you know, the Pies, as they tended to do in the, 90, or the late 90s, I'm totally sure they, they would start the season pretty well. And they were, they'd come off a couple of big wins against Port Adelaide and Melbourne. Um, but that was a really exciting game at Waverley. Uh, Seven-point win for the Saints. Very high scoring at 19 goals for 17. Uh, Ebden and flowed. Um, noteworthy for many, you know, for several reasons. But Jason Heatley's debut for the Saints, um, having come across from, from West Coast where he played only a handful of games. Uh, I think he kicked five or six on debut for the Saints it kicked, kicked the bag as well. Um, you know, a lot of the you know guys like Joel Smith and Ziller and these guys would bob up, you know, and, and, and have have key impacts. Um, so, uh, and I think as um, as Craig Lewis notes, not a game for the faint, faint hearted. Uh, that he says the blood rule used to the maximum.
2: This was not a game for the faint hearted. The blood rule used to the maximum.
3: Um, so, uh, and there are a couple of couple of reports, but yeah, there were. There were this is it? weird. The things you remember, like there's this stage of that docker where Peter McKenna um, uh, calls Troy Gray, Joel Gray, and then like he's and then he, about five seconds later, he goes, i called him Troy Gray, it, 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 Joel Gray. It's Troy Gray." And, like the the, the pasteur plate like, already moved. On. Gets it towards half forward. He's Joel Gray. Uh,
1: down. Oh! Troy Gray say Hinkley can't take the mark. they really said, job
3: Gray. It's Troy Gray. But, uh, Yeah, an important early season win for the Saints, and they they did uh, they did it for Stan. And uh, you know, any win over Colin was obviously, always very sweet.
0: Nicky Widmar also had 27 touches that day, and sort of found his uh, winning form. Uh, that was probably his first best game of that year, and uh, I do like that it then goes to a shot of uh, Stewie Lowe reflecting on the game, and he just gives his good old referring to players as plurals. You know, the Browns, the Lappens, the Harveys.
2: Yeah, you know, the improvements from the James, Browns, uh, Spider Everett, uh, Lappens uh, have just made it a lot easier uh, for the more senior players. So, ne- <laughs> oh, it's great
0: stuff.
3: That. I mean, that that's um, it, it looks like it's set. It's uh. I, I, I'm not quite sure where they feel, but I feel like it might have been some room at Leeson Street and they got a few of them together, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was always a, that was always a bugbear. <laughs> My dad actually would say, oh, yeah, there's only one heart. You know, but it's, it's a, it is a classic trope, isn't it? It's to have guys um, refer to, refer to um, teammates by the plural. Well,
0: then uh, the, the struggle. We're in the struggle. Of the mission in 1997, yeah. uh, St. Kilda in 1997. And what I do like, and uh, talking to you in the lead up to recording this, um, is that the video, the film that we're reviewing, is legitimately a masterclass in Craig Rel- Craig Willis's narrating. And I think his best passage of narration comes in the round four game against the Swans at Waverley. Um I believe you can quote it verbatim. <laughs> it's not not far off. Um, G- give us a go. Give us give us I your think, best, Craig Willis. <laughs> I think there's a, there's a few passages there.
3: And I think. Um, oh, oh yeah, I think the line is um, once they once they, after the swans kick, kick, they blew they blew a hot start to save that game, and then once the, the swans kick, you know they come had until eight goals down at three quarter time. Um, and then I think Willis goes something along the lines of, those Saints fans who par- you know, parlayed some of their hard-earned at the, at the Lucky Shop on the States were wondering about their mental state.
2: Those who tips and killed her to make the eight and followed up with some of their hard-earned at the Lucky Shop were wondering now about their mental state.
3: Um, it was just, you know, I haven't justice there, but it was, just the, it was just the way he said about their mental state.
2: Their mental state.
3: Um, just magnificent, um, and the whole thing is a tour de force from Willis. I, re- I mean, really, you know, like, the, 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 the footy in it, and then the Saints are almost incidental. Like, he just, there's so many lines there that I remember, um, like, right at the, I mean, I'll fast-forward to, to the end, to, to the end, that goes you know, against Port Adelaide, you get this, this line, it goes, um, you know, Saints,
0: on top of the ladder, on top of the world. Like. St
2: Kilda had finished as minor premiers, on top of the ladder, on top of the world. It's
0: just magnificent. I do like his introduction to the Sydney game as well, when he goes, the difference between St Kilda at its best and St Kilda at its worst was becoming vastly evident. Almost a chasm. Take Sydney for (laughs) example.
2: The difference between St Kilda at its best and St Kilda at its worst was becoming vastly evident. Almost a chasm. Take Sydney for example. (laughs)
3: That's exactly right. No, I think I did mention that to you a couple of weeks ago when you first raised this. Um, oh it's just terrific it's just brilliant um i mean it really is and it's funny like i think those you know as a kid when you're seven or eight like it's just it's it's so six or seven seven or eight it's so brilliantly um it's so brilliantly written and tightly written and well narrated and it, it does I, you know you can laugh but it's a, it's probably a big literary influence um you know it's such a formative year and obviously you know when you go on and you know, try to make a career in this area. Um I'm sure a lot of the terms of phrases were you know, seeped in. Um so I've probably got Craig Willis to thank.
0: If um if I can be fussy, I mean you'll take any circumstance you want, um, in terms of winning a premiership, but I'm glad as a as a Tiger supporter that we managed to get Craig Willis's last grand final, uh calling up the uh the players on the dais.
3: Oh that's a huge no, th the huge result of I, mean, I used to- you know, I used to dream before the 9 uh, and 10 grand finals, you know, I would read them out in the Craig Willis voice, you know, number 40, Robert Eddy, you know, like you just, um, uh, uh, you, 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 consider yourself very fortunate because it's, um, it's a real shame that Craig, um, is no longer, um, sort of on the scene like, like he was, cause it was just a, I mean, it really was a 25 year run that's right up there with the best, and this is sort of still relatively early Craig Willis, but probably peak Craig Willis.
0: I think with Craig, with Craig Willis, um there's only one type of Australian national anthem I want to hear, and that's Craig Willis going, well, ladies and gentlemen, the AFL in association with its (laughs) partner, Toyota... And then, and, and then, <laughs> and then the Julie Anthony recording of the national anthem. There's no other national anthem I'll stand up for unless it's got Craig Willis introducing it and then Julie Anthony's recording singing it.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the Australian Football League and Premier Partner Toyota, welcome you to the second qualifying final here tonight at the MCG. Would you now please join with the coaches, players, and umpires as we stand for the Australian national anthem.
3: welcomes you here to the second elimination final. No, you're, you're completely right.
0: Um, he was also, it, it, and if we're still on uh, Craig Willis, because I think this, I think this podcast, this edition of the Australian Football Film <laughs> Festival should really be a celebration of one of the stars of Australian football video, in the great Craig Willis.
3: I, 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 and just, I mean, the other thing Willis was so good at the Australian Open. I mean, it's just you know the, the, the Roger Federer, and, you know, he is a, you know, in 2000. You know, in 2001, Roger, you know, Leighton Jewett was a finalist at, at Harlow. And, it, you know, it just negative.
0: And, and then, of course, there's his work in electrifying 80s uh, and the 90s, the decade that delivered, which we'll no doubt get to uh, throughout the journey here on uh, the Australian Football Video Film Festival. And, you know, even just Craig announcing sponsors before a telecast was always the, um, the, the best kind of thing. You know, yeah. Savage Coverage is brought to you by Carlton and United. <laughs> Might attend.
2: Uh, might attend. <laughs> i was
0: about to say
3: might have ten. What else was there? You know, but You uh, know, um, Bunnings Warehouse. You know, um, yeah. uh, terrific, terrific.
2: Yeah. Go on all day. The 1998 AFL Premiership season, brought to you by Telstra, making life easier. Victoria Bitter for a hard-earned thirst. Cadbury Mark of the Year,
0: and McDonald's Family Restaurant. Let's go back to St Kilda. So let, let me just say they've lost to Sydney. Um, and then um, we actually get a cameo, uh, the mission, 1997. That's the uh, film in question we're reviewing this week. Um, 1997, uh, it's an absolute who's who of St Kilda is featured. And uh, we even get a bit of action from the president, Andrew Plimpton of St Kilda, uh, reassuring everyone that Stan's job is safe. And
1: so Stan came as, uh, as an inexperienced coach. Um, he certainly got the support and has the support of the club that it was not going to happen overnight.
0: Yes,
3: which of course it wasn't, uh, within 12 months of that video being, um, being produced. Um, which is just one of the crazy postscripts of this whole thing that Stan Ells takes Kilda to its first grand final in 26 years, uh, makes the final, you know, by, around 1498 they're on top of the ladder and then by the end of the year he's gone. That <laughs> was just, you could barely, if you wanted to sum up some Kilda and, and this management and just managing to shoot yourself in the foot over, um, over, a, a, you know, more than a century, and you could really sum it up in that, you know, that 12-month period. Um, just just uh, awful. And, and actually, one of the terrible things about that is it, it, um, it puts a pall over Harvey's, Robert Harvey's second Brownlow win, because that was the day Alves was sacked in 98. Um, so Harvey doesn't even sort of get to celebrate um, his second Brownlow win like like you would otherwise, because his coach has been sacked that day. Um, but yeah, no, still, uh, Andrew comes out and, um, says that you know, they, they, they always had support for Sam and that, probably that's what they
0: did, but uh, things change as, as they do in football. Uh, we, we, we're nearly finished with the section in the mission, the struggle, and uh, the Round 5 Anzac Day night game against Frio at Suby is yet again. Uh, just just peak Willis. Just, like, forget about the highlights. We can we can watch the footy and you can see Stewie Lowe dominate in the second half and, yeah, the Saints lost by a goal, but it's just just more brilliance from Craig Willis.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the line at um, the line at the start where he goes, uh, the round, the, you know, the, the Anzac Day game against uh, away to the Fremantle Dockers was uh, symptomatic of the Saints early in '97. Something along the lines of um, flashes of brilliance, periods of immense frustration. There's something along those lines. It's just great.
2: The Anzac Day clash against the Dockers of Fremantle was typical of the Saints early in the season glimpses of brilliance, periods of absolute frustration.
0: Uh, t- do you want that as your ringtone? <laughs> I think he's about to. Um, I know just going on and on, but uh,
3: it adds so much. I mean, you could, and I think it, it, it's the reason that these that this era resonates, um, I'm not just talking about particularly, I'm just talking about, you know, I mean, we're, we're very similar to Dylan and I think a lot of, the, a lot of your guests on this podcast have, um, you know, fall into a certain age bracket like us. And um, it was just such a golden era for um, for commentary and for presentation. And it was just, it wasn't overdone. It was it was just sort of, like, you know, there were, there were flourishes there and Willis was, you know, Willis is right up there with the best in the genre. But um, it was, it was very, I don't know, it just seemed very pure at the time that they didn't... There, there were there were gimmicks, but they weren't. It was still very down to earth, um, and it, it hadn't got it hadn't been, got too serious yet. The whole um, and I think you know Nine did a lot when they got when Nine got the rights. Um, they, they brought forward a lot with professionalism, but it probably a bit of the maybe a bit of the soul. Um, you know, just the soul of footy coverage um, faded away and probably never to return. Um, And and I think that this this era, you know, I think you've got KB and Dennis for commentating this game. Um, You know, I mean, just polar opposites in terms of being articulate and polished, but um, just sort of of worked.
2: The 1998 Brownlow Medal winner is Robert Harvey from the He is the most decorated man in football today, St Kilda's prolific club champion, a back-to-back winner of the Brownlow Medal, and at state level, simply the best. Harves is an AFL champion, and this is his story. The saint with a big heart and superb skills. Robert Harvey, the story so far, is out on video now, along with Worsfold on Worsfold and Vicks. The AFL Champion Series. Get your copies at these stores now.
0: Let me take some time out now to talk about our great sponsors, leagetees.com.au. Now, fair to assume that um, the majority of the listeners to this podcast are St Kilda supporters, and uh, the great range of St Kilda gear available at leagetees.com.au is palpable. It is magnificent. They've got Saints Disco every Friday night, uh, badges hoodies, T-shirts, they've got Snow Deli Saints, they've got marabin gear, they've got animal enclosure. Uh, I've even seen that they've even got a pig on the ground. Uh, of course, uh, rent to replicate plugger when he wasn't playing that day at the SCG. It's all there for you. Now, what is legtees.com.au? Do I even need to tell you? Of course I do, because they are magnificent, because they make retro footy fan gear that is the best footy fan gear in town. It's packed with footy tees, retro footy jumpers, hoodies, and all things retro footy. Uh, yeah, If you're a Saints fan, you will love what they've got available. I, I suggest you just get on your browser right now and just punch in legtees.com.au and just buy, 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 because it is magnificent stuff. Yeah. Azimataz and showbiz. Uh, Now, we're into the second section of the mission, St Kilda in 1997. Establishment. So we've had uh, the tough, (laughs) we've had the first chapter. We've had our, um, yeah, we've had the struggle. Now we're into establishment. Um, And it's the round six game against Melbourne at Waverley, which was actually talking of television television. presentation and coverage at the time. This game was actually covered exclusively for Optus Vision. Uh, and it was the first time, 97 was also the first time the score on the, the scoreboard box in the top right-hand corner featured, which for the life of me, I don't know why it wasn't a thing until then. But uh, I've noticed in this game that uh, Optus had a scoreboard that was just goals and behinds. It didn't have the points, so you had to work it out. And a count-up clock.
3: I should bring it back, the goal, I mean, I think that's one thing that's actually been lost from, like, I think it should be, footy fans should know what the goals and important. Like, you should be able to do the math in your head. I think that's that's, that's no, really, I've always, and I've loved that They don't do this anymore. Like, it's a very American thing to say, you know, and 74 plays 61, whereas there's something about Dennis or Bruce saying, you know, it's Collingwood 6-5 to Richmond 4-3, you know, that, like, that's just, that, that's what it used to be like, and I love when they do that still. And every now and again, um, I mean, Dennis obviously doesn't call anymore on TV, but, uh, Bruce will still every now and again pop that one out. Um, but, so yeah, the, 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 um, it was pretty primitive, uh, pretty primitive operation. Um, as you touched on there, the, the, uh, the games were being broadcast from the, the pocket, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, the games were being built. Yeah, that's right. So we're at Waverley for the uh, round six game against Melbourne. The uh, the cameras were placed in the forward pocket at the time, um, and it's the battle of the cellar dwellers, uh, as Craig Willis points out. Fifteenth,
2: nineteen ninety seven was one of the most amazing seasons in the history of the AFL. The game against Melbourne in round six was a stand up. The cellar dwellers of the AFL locked in combat at Waverley. St Kilda fifteenth with one win and four losses. Melbourne sixteenth. One win and four losses.
0: Versus 16th, the struggling Saints and the struggling Ds uh, and a very on-brand, wet and bleak Waverley Park day. Waverley, the home of the Saints at the time. Uh, St Kilda establishes itself by beating the Ds by 86 points.
3: Yeah, and, that was a, and it was a real... seemed to be such a turning point because um, Melbourne, um, you know, within um, five or six weeks, sacked their coach... Uh, Neil Baum, and I think this, I'm pretty sure this was the day that Joe Gutnick, famous, Joseph Gutnick, the, the Melbourne president at the time, uh, went on radio at half time and sort of effectively, you know, almost sacked Neil Baum at half time. You know, said something along the lines of, um, Baum's job was under pressure. You went on Triple M at half time of the game, which is just, you know, unfathomable, um, by any era standards. But, um, but Joseph Gutnick was a pretty out of the box character. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I remember being at this game, um, I think we went along with our next door neighbours, who are actually Melbourne supporters, um, and we, uh, my dad and I, that, um, yeah, it was a real, it was a real shellacking, uh, as is noted in the commentary, uh, Alice has this tactical masterstroke where he puts Robert Harvey to run with Jim Steins, um, around the ground, um, and just Harvey runs Steins ragged, uh, Everett, you know, Everett stands up, um, you know, Lowe, Lowe's at there, best, and Harvey's excellent, um, Dirk. So it really was um, was a bit of a walk at the end and, and they win this and um, build a lot of momentum from this win because um, over the following week, they, you know, as, as we'll probably touch on, but the following week they beat Port Adelaide. The new Port Adelaide who actually were in, in form uh, at Waverly by about 10 goals and then they go on to beat Essendon at the MCG who were a finalist the previous year. And then they come from behind beat Richmond uh, at Waverley in round nine. So you've gone from a situation where Al has offered his resignation and they've been bottom of the ladder um, after, after four rounds uh, to a position where they're really, um, you know, they're, they're one of the form teams of the competition by round nine and, and generating that momentum that would ultimately, um, would ultimately take them
0: to the grand final. Craig just gets better and better. Um, I know we should talk about Robert Harvey or Stewie Lowe or Spider Everett <laughs> or Jason Heatley, but let's face it, Daniel, the star of The Mission 1997 is Craig Willis. Um, this is some of his best narration uh, against uh, after the win against Port when he goes, this was a win full of character. Suddenly the Saints were... Ro- this
2: was a win full of character. Suddenly the Saints are on the move, up to 11th with a rocket. On the move, up to 11th with a
0: rocket. Um, and then... And then, of course, they have that big win uh, against Essendon at the G, um, which was their first game of the MCG for the year. They had a lot of Waverley. Obviously, Waverley was their home. Um, and then uh, they play the Tigers. My, my boys, I actually remember going to this game. Uh, the Tigers at Waverley. And uh, yet again, Willis just sums, paints the picture brilliantly when he goes, the crowds were coming back. The
2: crowds were coming back. They wanted to see the New Look Saints for themselves. 52,000 at Waverley on a Sunday saw the Saints open confidently.
0: Wanted <manufacturer tales> to see the new York Saints for themselves.
3: That's <laughs> so true. Um, and I think, you know, I tend to recall that you know, um, Matthew Lappin does some really good things in this game. Like, I think that was one of the, one of the, one of the themes of the season. Because the Saints in the mid-90s were, there was this perception of them as, you
0: know, being purely reliant on I think it was a fab four... Um, which which um spider which uh, spider Everett gets asked about in one of the interviews about being the Fab Four?
3: Yeah, because initially, uh, well, he had Lockett, and then you sort of had Harvey Burklow and Winmar. I think were seen to be the the, um, the the cornerstone, you know, the linchpins of that team. Um, but it really dropped away from there, I think. And you see some of the guys that they played into the '94 and '95 seasons, and there were some pretty. Um, <laughs> It's like that game again. Look at Lockett wins off his own boot against Sydney in 94. I mean, there were some um, pretty um, little known players playing in that game. But, but by 97, that, that second tier played a huge role. Uh, Ozzy Jones emerges as All Australian, has a brilliant year with um, his pace, in his dash. I think he earned State of Oregon selection. Everett himself, as we've touched on, Heatley comes out of nowhere to be this spearhead, dominant spearhead. Uh, Barry Hall contributes on the forward line as well. Um, down back, Mackie Hutchton emerges in his first season. Um, Jamie Shanahan has been pretty solid, obviously ended pretty badly for him that year, but um, Frankie Peckett has a good year. Uh, and then, then they, more to the point that kids, um, Joel Smith, Tony Brown, um, the Aussie Jones, as I touched on there, um, Paul uh, Lappin. Um, so it was, um, you know, suddenly you've, you've got this, and then the, and they complement some of the work. Or well, Jackson Cripps came on that year. Andrew Thompson. So there's a lot of players who come out of nowhere um, to complement, you know, some of those old state, you know, the more, more experienced types like like a Rod Keo, uh, Luke Beveridge, who's getting towards the end of his career. Even a Troy Gray. Um, so it was um, it was a, it was a team that suddenly had um, there was a lot more there than just just the, the big names, which had been so important and, and but still the big names are, you know, all having brilliant seasons. Harvey obviously Brownlow best for year. I mean if you get how good Lowe was even towards the twilight of his career, I mean this is uh, this is tw- his twelfth season, so he's you know, getting on a bit. Um, and but he was still excellent. Um, uh, Burke, you know, Burke was terrific. I bet, you know, Burke was Burke pulled right up there in the Brownlow that year as well as he did the previous year. I mean, Lowe there previously took ninety goals. So um yeah, I mean, they've, they've just done really well. And those, those couple of games, I, I remember they, um, I was disappointed to miss the Aston game because I had to go to one of my friend's birthday parties. And then the following week, I had my cousin's birthday party on the Sunday. And we, we end up going to the second half of that game at Waverley um, and against Richmond, and, um, which was terrific because they obviously came from, um, came from behind to win. And, uh, you know, we got a glimpse of a new experience for ourselves.
0: You play the Cats the next week, you lose that one. Um, and then I reckon this is about half probably the halfway mark of this fine film that we are reviewing this week on the Australian Football Video Film Festival, The Mission, St Kilda in 1997. The uh, Round 11 clash against West Coast at Subiaco, I would argue was St Kilda's best game that season uh, because Nikki Winmar was dropped uh, for disciplinary reasons. I don't, I think he didn't turn up to training. That was the story. <laughs> As
3: I recall, it was something like that. I mean, he was... He was pretty uh, volatile, um, especially
0: around this period. Um, the Saints had never beaten the Eagles at Subiaco. They make the most of it in the first quarter. Uh, and it's an absolute Robert Harvey masterclass. This is the reason why uh, Robert Harvey won the Brownlow medal with an effort like this. And I think this game gets replayed fairly often uh, during off seasons and extended off seasons in the uh, case of uh, 2020. <laughs> But um, there are some just some quintessential Subiaco things in this game. So um, Robert Harvey kicks an epic goal, and then oh. does the
2: bodywork sets up now for Harvey. He'll go right in, waltz in, kicks the goal.
0: Booze are just so loud from the West Coast crowd.
3: Um, yeah, it gets around it gets around Michael
0: Simmons. I think it's
3: is it Terry Wheeler who's on the commentary at the, at the time, um, and he just goes, he just he's just a. Sort of, last and disbelief or Harvey's just done by getting around. He's got this free kick, I must have an out on the full free kick and Harvey's, you know, 60 out and he just balks Simmons just um, magnificently gets around and just slots this goal from of the pocket. Now, Harvey's not a noted goal kicker uh, really ever in his career. He three of that final in Adelaide in 2005, but it was not his, you know, probably the one of the knocks on his game was he never the huge goal kicker. So that was a pretty noteworthy effort. I think the other thing about West Coast, they hadn't, um, well, I think they like won one they were unbeaten at Suvi in at least a year or two years. They had sort of won 15 in a row at the ground. I mean, they were so hard to beat in the West uh, ever, um, and, and, and certainly at this point. Um, and I think, yeah, the Saints, they were a long... I remember watching this game at home. They were a long way up at half-time, and then the, the Eagles hit back and really take it up to them, but then they they hold off, as actually would do... Uh, all, I've never thought about this, but almost a decade... Um, to the round later at the same venue with Harvey again significant in Harvey's three hundred and fiftieth game. Um in a very, very similar game, um, where the Saints uh kicked out to a big lead and then and then held off a fast finishing West Coast um in what was probably uh, you know, one of my top five or ten but, but favorite um favorite and the wins of all time. So um repeating it yeah no, it's a tremendous win and um I think that, you know, you, you think when you beat West Coast away in those days, that, that would give you a hell of a lot of confidence. You know, they get to the halfway stage of the season. It's 6-5 in an even season um, with a rocket. And, um, you know, uh, as I said, clearly the momentum was building.
0: There's some classic committee in there too. So uh, Harvey had <laughs> 35 possessions and committee says something along the lines of... Morrison ca- needs to put a cowbell, I think, on Harvey at the moment, trying to keep up with him and know where he is. Elbow on Robert Harvey. He wanted to know where he <laughs> is. <laughs> That's So good. Um, yeah, I mean, committee.
3: You're you're always excited to be a committee ever, and like he he plays a key role in the ninety in the prelim, um, which oh, we will get to. But just but, oh, I want to make sure that we we touch on that um, right at the end of the ninety seven prelim. He is one the great lines. But um, uh, yeah, no, excellent. And um, Chad Morrison did a
0: blast in the park. And uh, of course, Jason Heatley kicks four against his old side. Really, really shows him, really makes West Coast regret uh, letting him go. And, uh, of course, we couldn't go without mentioning a game at Subiaco with heaps of messages on hold signs behind the goals.
3: <laughs> I did love this era, too, because it was just before it was, all, um, it was all done up. You know, before they was it three-tiered stand. I think to the left of the screen at this point, it still sort of looks like a suburban ground. Mm. Um, uh, before their final big renovation, which they did, uh, which sort of saw out the last... 15, 20 years at the ground. Um, and then they end up having a... Actually, again, I should... Um, I'm just going to but they did have another great win in the following season. Also one of my favourite wins of all time. They they, come from, they came from about five goals down the last quarter to beat West Coast um, in round six at Subie. Uh Gavin Mitchell gets a dubious free kick to win the game. And it's particularly noteworthy because... Two guys, since kicked six goals that six goals that day, Spider Everett, no surprise, and Daniel Healy, not Heatley, Healy, who um, played 40 odd games for them and came from South Australia. Um, but the best part about that, it was both of their 24th birthdays. Um, it was just one of the, it was just a completely free occurrence that they both kicked six goals on their 24th birthday. Um, and uh, yeah, anyway, just Wilson Kill with one issue there.
0: Oh mate, you're in your absolute element doing this. I couldn't have thought <laughs> of anyone better to come and talk about the mission in '97. So we're still in the establishment section. Um, so the Saints progress. They have that big win in Perth. Then they go on to beat Calton at Waverley. Um, another a, not, a,
3: noteworthy, a noteworthy day that um, in history. That was the there are a few things that happened that day. Um, one tr- tragic. It was actually the weekend of the Jaden Lesky disappearance. Okay. Um, the, in um in Moe, um was all over the news. but the other thing was um it was the um the Mike Tyson Evander Holyfield fight where Tyson bites Holyfield's year it was, I'm pretty, it was I'm pretty sure was I'm pretty sure was that weekend and that I think it was a Saturday it must been a Saturday night fight in Vegas or wherever it was and so that was all over the news that Sunday. Um yeah the Saints um I think they played three very good quarters against Carlton. The Blues came home late um in fact, I've recently seen my, my dad brought out some home videos from more than 20 years ago, Um, uh, a couple of months ago. And he, he actually, he's actually got some footage of me at this game um, right at the end of the thing that's the club song when they won. Um,
0: oh, this we've got to get on much. YouTube. <laughs>
3: well, unfortunately, there's all too much footage of me on YouTube um, um, celebrating, uh yeah, back for the Saints. But uh, yeah, no, it wasn't a was bad. And I'll we'll see what we can do.
0: Talk about that about it. And there's some more. There's just some more vintage Craig Willis that I want to point out with you uh, in this particular section. Um, so they've gone on to beat West Coast at Carlton, and they go on to beat North Melbourne the past uh, a couple of weeks yeah. later. And so they've beaten the past three years premiers. Um, but there's a few just. It's not necessarily the football. I just want to get some more stuff about Willis. So he goes...
2: And Alves would describe the game against Carlton as quite outstanding. Well, for three quarters anyway. Um, and,
0: and the other one is they. there's a bit of a top-of-the-table clash against the Bulldogs, who are top of the ladder in 97 uh, at this stage. And he sort of yet again just sets the scene, paints the picture.
2: Late June, and the Saints were grimly hanging on to a place in the top eight. Thoughts of September focusing on just being there rather than loftier ambitions. Yeah.
3: And that's interesting. It's it probably that, that's interesting and whether that was an accurate reflection or not I you know, I'll take his word for it. Um they they did got they did get done and that that was one of the yeah, one of the last losses of the year. In fact they the other, were other the were uh, the second last team to beat the same in um, other than Adelaide. Um and um yeah, they, they, it was a wet, it was a sort of windy old day at Waverly. <laughs> was there any other time to day at Waverly? Oh, was that it?
0: was the windy uh, day at Waverly, that one.
3: Uh, there, there's a few windy days at Waverly. There's one that gets... The, the, the freeo game in round 20, as you'll get to later, that's, um, I think that was Notion, Willis notes really, you know, talks about that, like, talked about the wind for about five minutes. But um, certainly it was a wet day at Waverly when they lost the Bulldogs in round 13. Um, And I think there's a goal there, that laugh and kicks, that's in, in the montage right at the start of the of the show. Um where his where one of his jumper numbers is sort of flapping off, like it's sort of the, the one of the twos on the back of his twenty two you know, and his twenty two was sort of barely hanging on. Um uh but yeah, but then that following week, as you said, that they 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 managed to um make three the last three premiers in four weeks, wins over them by beating North in round fourteen on the Saturday afternoon at Waverley, which was um Heatley's um Heatley's piece to resistance, kicking nine goals in a win of, I think, pretty much nine goals. So it it, it was the difference.
0: Stan Elves features a fair bit in this segment, Uh, the coach at the time, Stan Elves. And um, he strikes me as a coach that really coached from the heart.
3: Yeah, he's a very, yeah, I think that's very accurate. I mean, and I think that was the thing that sort of was his undoing in the end. He was always too passionate and sort of, I mean, like I, I, I've never quite totally got my head around where the fallings out were, but he was sort of overbearing. I mean, in that penultimate game that he coached in '98, there was infamous footage of him, you know, grabbing Maxie Hutchton, um, not quite Ken Sheldon, Craig Devonport, stole by the throat, scruff of the neck, but getting right up in his face, and he was a real sort of David Parkinson-style, um, you know, uh, Jug Jug Levain, protruding type of coach. Um, and yeah, I, I don't think he was sort of, um, he d- didn't seem to be, um, uh, ahead of the curve in terms of tactically by any great stretch. I, mean, you, you, you did, I, don't, I don't think anyone thinks Stan Alves was being one of the great Clarkson style tactical, even like a Jared Nation of the era where he's sort of ahead of the, you know, ahead of the curve a little bit tactically. But, um, but you could, when you, when you look at Alves, and even like, you know, I've dealt with him once or twice, um, as a journalist, just to call him for things. And, and he's, he does have a sort of sincerity about him and, a, and, a, and a, an earnestness that is quite endearing. And you can, can understand why it was sort of... Actually, a little bit like Luke Beveridge, sort of why you sort of ride the, the ups and downs of the emotion here because he, he was a sort of a
0: coach from the heart type of, type of coach, as you said, Dylan. And he speaks eloquently about dealing with the pressure and how he would leave if there wasn't any pressure. And that, that pressure. I'm not
1: under, same, under the same sort of pressure that I was in the first three or four uh, rounds of the year. That would be silly not to say that. But I think also that um, the pressure now comes with the knowledge that now, when, if you're now saying that this is the year and this is the time that we believe we're going to make our mark, that if you now don't continue on, and, and, and with eight games to go, if we weren't to produce in those eight games, well, well, obviously I'd be under enormous pressure, and, and I would go anyway because if I if I couldn't do the right thing, then I I would certainly know in my own mind it was time to give somebody
0: he, else a he chance. He's very much an emotional coach. Yeah, I think that's a really I think that's that's um uh,
3: that's very perceptive. Um, I think he, yeah, I mean, he is pretty insightful, but um, he I, even. I think someone uploaded a, a, some interviews of him on um, on Talking Footy from the late 90s, and he was very, yeah, he's very considered, um, just a sort of sincere guy um, and comes across pretty well. I mean, he had, he had a, um, I'm not sure, you know, people might, might know this now, but he, like his son died tragically in a, in a car accident, I think, sort of, sort of riding his bike when he was 12 or 13, I think. Um, so, he um, in the late 80s. So he's done, um, you know, he's had some major challenges in his life. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, he was pretty close to becoming until the second Premiership coach. Uh, and obviously a Premiership player.
1: is about the game of football, something that touches every beating heart. And there is something for every Australian man, woman and child in this living video history. 100 years of Australian football on video. It's yours to keep forever at these stores now.
0: The final segment of uh, establishment in the mission is, of course, uh, the Round 15 game against the Crows, uh, which our great man and uh, the man who is the absolute star of this particular film, Craig Willis, as he describes, he says...
2: Some Some ten weeks later, they'd be playing for far higher stakes.
0: Ten weeks later, they'd be playing for higher stakes. But uh, the same... The Saints are fifth and the Crows are third. And the the Crows get the job done by 10 points, but St Kilda don't disgrace themselves. Um, But it then goes into Craig introducing the third segment of the mission, St Kilda in 1997. And
2: that loss would signal the beginning of an amazing streak.
0: So, at the 54-minute mark of this film we're reviewing here at the Australian Football Video Film Festival, The Mission, St Kildare in 1997. Daniel Cherney is my guest. Uh, we go into the streak, the original streak, not the 2004 10 Games in a Row DVD box set streak, which I'm sure we'll do an episode on one day. Uh, or the 2009 19 game streak. Was there a DVD box set for that one? No, I don't think no, there no, was. No, no, <laughs> no there wasn't. I think they learned to win. We going to The Streak, and um, I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's the Joel Smith show that starts it off in the, the clash of uh, co-tenants at Waverley uh, between the Hawks. Um, and if we can talk about the fashion of the film at the time, Daniel, uh, one thing I noticed that um, 1997 was a great year for the Saints, but it was also the first year the Saints wore the uh, what I like to call the Tombstone Jumper. Uh, as their home games because they're playing Hawthorne away and they're in their traditional jumper.
3: Yes, yes. Uh, uh, definitely worth noting. Um, and uh, it, it's fun. I think this jumper has I – mean, it must have been controversial at the time um, to change the club's jumper. Um, I think, having said that, I think probably it's probably a little bit like North Melbourne had that period where they would wear that kangaroo on the jumper a bit, you know, and it's sort of quite frequently. Um and the Bulldogs tinkered with the jumper. So I suppose it was a little bit in vogue at the time. But, um, yeah, because cause this cause is initially a pre-season jumper. That, that's, that's how it started. They, they wore it in the 95 and 96 pre-season. And they win the 96-day Cup. So I'm sure that's how its popularity skyrocketed. And, that, and they've sort of been moved to wear it in home games. I mean, it's a pretty good-looking jumper. Um, uh, you know, it's it's still relatively... Basic is you touch on the two stokers, they've got the, got the sort of particular cross very prominent and prominent on the jumper, and, and I think they still wear it a bit. They actually recently started wearing a, a very similar one at training. Um, so it, it's quite striking, but yeah, it is It is worth noting that this is the away game, and they were wearing their, their, the traditional jumper, which was their away jumper that year. Um, and in the grand final, I'm pretty sure they tossed a coin uh, as to which jumper they would wear, and they end up, uh, and the 97 and the um, the newer one was uh, was victorious. So um, it's sort of I wonder how history would have recorded it had they won that game. Whether it would sort of look strange had some killers uh, with their first premiership um, infamously Sarah Bullock like holding up the cup and a Collingwood jumper after they the teams um, changed jumpers had you know whether it was Burke and Lowe holding up the cup with elves, um in um, in that jumper whether so people would look at that Back upon that is a bit of a shame, but um you know obviously uh obviously wasn't to be and, and we got a sort of a similar situation two decades later with uh with your club um richmond um but uh you, you you've got you've got a got a pick uh, pick of both now because of the yellow jumper and the and the traditional jumper um and- uh- Hang on the metal,
0: please. I think the uh, the clash jumper has looked very fondly post uh, September twenty seventeen. <laughs> to be perfectly honest, I oh, think man. I think um, if your club wins a jump uh, wins a premiership in any jumper, it's uh, thought of fondly. So um, that's that. Maybe that's something for Damien Barrett's sliding doors fashion edition. And, <laughs> um, so there's the Hawks game at Waverley. Um, more Craig Willis action when he. Um, What does he say? He says something along the lines of The turning point may have well have been this match. Hawthorne at Waverley.
2: The turning point may well have been this match. Hawthorne at Waverley. Later, media scribes would describe the 79 point margin as flattering. Not to the victorious St Kilda, but to the vanquished Hawthorne.
0: Not to St Kilda, but the Hawks.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, they kicked, I think they kicked 2021 that day. Um, so they really could have put them, put them to the sword. And the Hawks, um, I mean, just as a sidebar, the Hawks had a funny old year because I think they were eight and six and in the eight, um, and then just completely fall in a hole and end up losing their last eight, uh, and then lose their first five in 98. So I think Ken Judge goes on a 13 game losing streak. Um, and, um, you know, and did you just think the Hawks thought I mean, that's just unheard of, um, for a club so successful? Uh, Obviously, coming off such you know greatest year of all time, arguably, Um, and this is just their. their, their And they lost Dunstall though to a knee injury earlier in '97, and probably never quite recovered from that.
0: Then the next week. So they have that big win over Hawthorne, then the next week it's uh, Nicky Widmar's 200th game against Brisbane at Waverley, and uh, we get a great little report at the time from uh, a young man.
1: When he first came to Waverley in 87, the then starry-eyed West Australian could hardly hide his excitement as he lined up on Essendon's big guns. There was never the thought that he would be back 10 years later preparing for his 200th, the first Aboriginal to reach the milestone. To all the uh, Aboriginal people in Australia as well, you know, like... Who, uh, who do associate with football? footballer, I mean, if you've um, got the talent to go out and give it your best, I mean, uh, achievements will come. The career highlights of the dual Saints Best and Fairest winner are truly memorable. His skills have always been regarded as some of the sharpest in the game. But Winmar's decade in the football spotlight hasn't been without well-publicised controversy, his proud Aboriginal heritage often seeing him dragged into the headlines. We are humans and we make mistakes, and. I mean, we just uh, we're just glad that the footy club is stuck by me. Winmar believes reaching the milestone has given him fresh motivation, He's looking forward to more brilliant performances in the years ahead. I'll try and head for the two fifty mark. Just um, see if I can get that. Mark
0: Beretta, seven, mark nightly, Beretta news. On, uh, seven nightly news.
3: Yes, uh, this, this again stands out very um, is one of the it's one of the memories from, the, from watching this all years ago. You know, a handful of times. Um, it's just sort of weirdly interjected in there, like you have got a, a full-on news report um, about Winmar. But this was a significant moment. I mean, Winmar obviously, you know, such a such an influential figure in the game um, and the the you know a brilliant player. But then the um, then the iconic image shot by Wayne Ludby in '93 at Victoria Park, um, and so he's become you know. And after a tumultuous year, um, he wins. Um, he, he becomes the first Indigenous player to reach the 200 game milestone, uh, and they, and I think oh, there's some line in there about him being you know, proud and proud of his Indigenous heritage. It was, I think they get him standing there with an Aboriginal flag. Um, I think it was sort of, you know, it, was, it, it, it has a lot of parallels, I think, with Cathy Freeman at the time. Um, that was a very common theme to see her the in the Aboriginal flag at the time, um, and you sort of get, yeah, this full Margarita. um real, um, even you know, at the end when he signs off, my career have seven nightly years. Um And then they go in and, and play Brisbane on a Sunday afternoon at, uh, at Waverley. Again, I remember being at this game, I think it was a pretty dreary afternoon and the same as Willis notes were, were, were not at their best and they were a pretty scrappy game by that eight goals. That sort of
2: Against Brisbane, St Kilda didn't produce its best football. Alves was first to admit that on the positive sides and killed a one. And that was a sign of the marked mental toughness that had been developed.
0: Um, you know, nothing, nothing to write home about. You go on to the MCG. Tell me your second game at the MCG for the year I've noticed. Yeah. Uh, you play Collingwood round 18. Yet again, more Craig Willis mastery. Master class from Craig Willis continues with a crisp, cool August Sunday. A crisp,
2: cool August Sunday. 68,000 at the MCG the Saints' crucial clash with the Collingwood side still hopeful of September action. 50000
0: at the MCG. Um, and then another masterclass from uh, Robert Harvey with his lady, lazy 36 touches and uh, the likes of Stephen Ziller and Justin Peckett uh, dominating in the back line and uh, uh, Spider starring as always. And Harvey, fantastic, which is another. Willis quote. There, <laughs> uh,
3: there, 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 there was one very memorable thing about that game. a three-quarter time score... In that game, or two things, Joel Smith does his knee, which is actually a big loss, but then the, the three quarter time score in that game, the, the piece of minutia, um, was until the 10-14-74 to the 10-13-73, which is the exact same score as the 66th Grand final. Um, it was a three quarter time score and, um, and people, I remember at the time, that was a, a bit of a, people made a deal of that, just being such a freak, a freak occurring.
0: Then the next week, you head over to the SCG and the Swans are on a 19 game winning streak. At Sydney, and this is when um, the people of Sydney have finally discovered the Swans. Uh, it's fair to yeah. say there was plenty of new, fresh scarves around that era at the SCG. Um, <laughs> but uh, as our dear, as the superstar, the great man Craig Willis does describe, as this was a game that made the critics take notice.
2: Sydney had not been beaten at their Harborside headquarters in twenty games. All that was about to change. This was a game that made the skeptics stand up and take notice. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it was. Uh again a, a fantastic victory. They come they've come from behind. Um uh I think um you know, I think that might have been five or six goals down the yeah, Swan's got it to a flyer. Um and it was a beautiful it was one of those early Sunday afternoon games. It was I think a twelve forty start before a you know, one of those seven double headers and, and they've um and they've just shot back and um and it um, yeah, terrific win. I think they hit the front really in the last Couple of minutes, uh, they might. I think Lappin kicked the sealer from the pocket, um, possibly with head bandaged, if, if, if I um if I recall correctly. Uh, and just to give to, you know again these interstate wins, um, and it was you know was so hard to win interstate in those early years of the national competition, especially against the, against the top sides. Um, and then so sort to of beat West Coast and Sydney, both of whom had incredibly imposing away records um, in the space of a couple of months. Um yeah, um, uh, uh, the crit- of course, the critics up and took notice because
0: it was a, a huge win. Season progresses. You have that win over Frio at Waverley in the uh, green jumper. Uh, very, go, windy. Yeah, very, very windy. Yeah, very windy day. We established that earlier. Then you play Melbourne in your <laughs> only Friday night game, which, of course, at the time was the Twoies derby between the Twoies Red Saints and oh. the Twoies Blue Demons. Uh, <laughs> Jason Heatley kicked seven. And um, then to finish off the season, the home and away season, there's that round 22 game against Port at Football Park. Now, you mentioned that the historic events on the day that um, you played Carlton, but this was actually the day uh, Lady Diana uh, died in that tragic car accident.
3: Yeah, no, I, know, I remember that vividly as well. Um, uh, it is amazing the things that sort of stick with you um, and, how, and, and how such a classic world events, um, you know, capture your imagination even at a, at a young age. Um, Oh, like I remember playing. I remember like it's the crazy things you remember. Like I remember playing a junior soccer game that morning, and then went to a friend's birthday party later that day, and then um and then like we heard this news of Princess Diana, and then I remember because it was a weird day where they had a twilight game, and I think Jerris Healy was actually the one who told it said on Channel Seven that she had died, or maybe I can't quite remember um, that's sort of my recollection of it. But then um yeah, it was a, it was a Sunday twilight game where the, the thing that they would occasionally do or the with games in Adelaide, in particular, where seven the Sunday news would be aired at half time. Um, I think the first half was quite tight, but then the Saints kick away um, in the second half. And Port Adelaide needed to win to make the finals in what was their first season, um, but unable, um, unable to do so. Harvey again, brilliant, um, uh, but um, a member, of, but unfortunately, Lazar uh, um uh, the uh, Powerful, I think, would be a, probably the best up to him, Ruckman um, does his knee, a centre bounce in that game. Um, the last game he ever plays, Spider um, Everett. Then a couple of weeks later, then the following, the following Sunday, does his um, collarbone. So, they'll lose their best two Ruckman. Um, and Bitterbit, you know, and, and it's a huge turning point. And it's, <clears throat> who knows what would have happened had one or both of those guys been available for the um, for the grand final? Because Bitterbit people say he would have just, you know, Darren Jarman. Start running wild, or McLeod, or Would it was just such a madman. They would have just clock them, and you know would have got a couple 25 of twenty-five week suspension in the matters. Yeah, to look, Saints
0: would have won the flag. That's true. Lazar Vitevich does strike me as someone that would have happily gone the biff on Grand Final day and taken a seventeen-week <laughs> suspension somehow. Okay, Saints have finished on top of the ladder at the nineteen ninety-seven season, and we now go into the fourth chapter of the mission. St Kilda in nineteen ninety-seven. Our film in focus. This week here at the Australian Football Video Film Festival, Daniel Shoney from The Age is my guest. And uh, they play the first qualifying final. They get a home final at their home ground, Waverley Park against Brisbane. Um, And given that we are talking films here, I want to point out the uh, cinematography of this particular section in the film because I reckon this is the first time uh, that they've decided to finally put the cameras on the centre wing at Waverley Park rather than the forward pocket.
3: Is, is, do you think this is, like, he's saying, not just this, this is historical, they'd never previously
0: done it. I, it, it I've watched a lot of old football, and all the, the overwhelming majority ga- of games that were played at the old Waverley uh, were definitely the cameras on the forward pocket, and for some reason, towards its later days, they finally cottoned on that maybe the cameras look better in the wing. Mm, the,
3: the fixture, the
0: fixturing of this... Um, Excuse
3: me, the sixth of this week's finals was, was also actually affected by the death of um, Christina because she they, the, they moved the Adelaide West Coast qualifying final from the Saturday night, um, that's right, so they could broadcast night. the funeral, that's right, funeral, um, the those funeral. So, bizarrely, you actually have two finals being played simultaneously, which would just never ever ever happen in this, this day and age. Um, so Adelaide and West Coast. Uh, the second half of that game was, was on at the same time as the of Brisbane final at Waverley. And, and this is also the last ever final at Waverley. And then North played long that night. Um, in, in, and then Carey has one of his nights out against the Caps. Um, yeah, but this was, um, a, you know, tremend- know, any finals were in and I remember, i a few recollections of this, and I remember driving back from Waverley um with my dad. But um, I think the... Um, uh, uh, it was uh every injury was obviously bad, and there were a couple of other injury concerns I think Harvey and Heatley both we both of whom were fine in the end, but they had little niggles, so there were you know it was just signs that things weren 't quite going to plan um and I think Rod Keogh ends up having a you know, really day out in the second half and, and helps them through um an unlikely um unlikely match winner um right. Uh, yeah they marched, they marched through to um the uh the preliminary final twelve days later against North.
0: That's right, because it was a bit of a process of elimination as to who was going to play St Kilda that week, because Brisbane had actually lost their final four leading into it, but because I think uh, Fremantle, Carlton, and Port Adelaide all missed their chance, Brisbane kind of uh, got into that final by default.
3: Yeah, well, which is bizarre because um yeah, and, and Brisbane had played the Friday night the previous weekend at the Wacker and, and lost, and then they've. I think they had a draw. They might, they might have been winless last fall because they had that draw. I think against Port Adelaide That's in the penalty right. round. But, but um, but then they had uh, yeah, and it was weird because your your Tigers got up over Carlton in the year, Great which win. the Tigers were ordinary. Um, in, that was the in, Unleash in, the Geese game, Daniel. Yeah, it must have been just about Richmond's last ever game at, at uh, Carlton. It
0: was. Um,
3: and um. And M- Melbourne, who were hopeless, had won three games to that point of the year, beat 0 to knock them out. And then uh was the same to the business against Port on the, that Sunday and Brisbane qualified. Um, but, yeah, was a, a weird period for the Lions. obviously their first year uh, post-merger. And then the following year, um, they, they won the Spoon. And uh, John Norley got sacked. And um, um, Lee Matthews was higher than the rest of history.
0: Um so, yeah, they've got the week off. They've won the qualifying final. And then we get a bit of filler content in the Mission 987. Yeah. We get that because, uh, of course, Spider has done his uh, arm, elbow? Was it, was it an elbow? No, it? Collarbone, collarbone. Collarbone. Collarbone, I should say. So Spider's done his collarbone. Yeah. And then there's that report, another news report with Mark Doran for Seven Nightly News. Uh, <laughs> a Saints man. A very big Saint man, Saints man, Mark. Um and uh, there's a shot of uh, a Spider enjoying a Tui's Blue, a good cup. He should be drinking Tui's Red if he's with the Saints. But um, <laughs> he's got his he's got his Puma T-shirt and his Tuis, so he's looking after the sponsors. Um, and then he just uh, just does an interview um, where he just knew he was injured. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm just going to walk off."
1: Meanwhile, it was the last supper for Saint Spider Everett, a fractured collarbone ending his season. When I stood up, I felt it like you know two bones running to get rubbed together. So I thought. I'm just going to walk straight off here, there's something wrong here, so unfortunately it's a fracture. The giant ruckman believes Stuart Lowe now becomes the key big man in the Saints Premiership plans. Looking at the other ruckman and, and uh, you know, the other sides, I'd say Lowe can probably hold down most of them.
3: Mark Doran, 7 Nightly News. Uh, and that was one of the big talking points, You know how uh, North, how some Kilda going to combat, because uh, North had just come, You know they'd beaten Geelong, who finished second, and they have beaten West Coast, and they were the reigning premiers, and obviously, their finals experience are uh, plenty. And hence, this <clears throat> preliminary final, um, you know, plenty of momentum. And one of the big questions was how is St. Kilda going to combat Corey McKernan? Um, and we got our answer uh, pretty early in the game.
0: The uh, awards and accolades then start coming uh, to Linton Street in that September because. Uh, One of the stars of the Mission 1997, Stan Elves, uh, wins the, they show vision of Stan Elves winning the, uh, 1997 coach of the year. And I think his speech really reflects just how an emotional coach he was. Yeah,
1: look, it's a, it's a humbling, it's a humbling thing. There's no doubt about that. Um, I mean, we're not only talking about the people whose names have been thrown up, but I mean, you, you flashed to David before, um, and Sheeds and people like that and, uh, for a person like myself, I don't, I don't see myself uh, any better than, than any of these people, and uh, to be given this honour is, it, uh, the only word I can use is humbly.
3: <laughs> Love it, um, and I, I think that must have been it, because in those, this was before the year era. I think they changed the rules because of, uh I can't remember which, which was the last year. I think the following year Terry Wallace was then named coach of the year, and that, that was all Australian coach, because nowadays, and for the most, it must have been at least the last fifteen years, the. Um, the All Australian coach is just a Premiership coach, um, whereas back then they would actually give, and I think it was probably better back then because um, although you do you now get this crazy scenario where the Clarkson has never won the AFL Coaches Association Coach of the Year, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, no, I, I think uh, it was pretty, um, uh, yeah, no, it, was, it, was, it was due recognition for Al's. Um, I mean, when you, if you recall where he, where the Saints were, where he was at the start of. This, um, this season and, and this, this programme, um, just to, to take them to the some to the final of that point and the minor premiership. Um, obviously it's a, a brilliant effort and um yeah, all credit to him and his accolades and 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 a nice speech too.
0: Then, of course, there's the prelim final against North Melbourne. Uh, Craig Willis introduces it brilliantly, as he does in every single match of the 1997 <laughs>
2: season. The value of the week's break was blatantly evident when the Saints faced reigning Premier's North Melbourne on a wet and wintry Friday night in front of 77,000 at the MCG. North facing up to its third finals match in 13 days. St Kilda fresh and rarer to go. Um,
0: you've got... An, you've got uh, not one, not two, but three people calling this game. Um, for some reason, Channel Seven really like to pack out the commentary box in the final, so you've got Bruce Dennis and Sandy calling it. Um, Which I think was the same as the grand final. Yes, that was. And um, and then you mentioned who was going to take on Corey McKernan. Well, the perfect tackle was laid on him in that prelim final.
2: The ferocity of the St Kilda attack stunned many. The perfect tackle on Corey McKernan would play a major role in North's demise.
3: Pretty early, if I recall, it was Na- I, th- I think it was Nathan Burke in association with um, the uh, oft-forgotten oh, Brett Cook, um, who had come to the Saints after um, playing a few years with Fitzroy. Uh, so he was brought into the team, um, you know, having been to, 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 to partner David Terekowski in the ruck after they lost Everett and, and um And uh, yeah, you see, um, you see him and Burke slam McKernan into the ground and it was a perfect tackle and, he, and you just see McKernan getting up and he knows straight away that he's clutching his shoulder and he just is out um, and uh, it, was, it must have been just Matthew Capuano on his own from there um, and that was a huge advantage to the Saints um, to, to have lost and I, I wonder if in the same age whether you get into any trouble for that um, you know obviously it's not a tackle to the head but whether it would have been a you know, whether the impact of the tackle would have seen some sort of suspension. I, I don't recall it being a talking point at the time. It was just seen to be a fair, bruising, um, tackle. But, um, yeah, a, a great night. Um, uh, you know, um, incredibly memorable. Heatly kicked seven in a prelim, you know, so that, I mean, that, that's just no, you know, that's just not to really be sneezed at at all. Um, probably the high point. It, it must have been 16 for the year against, um, against the Kangaroos in two games. Um, also noteworthy for Dennis Pagan losing it, I think it's Glenn Archer and Wayne Schwoss, um both of whom were suspended and he just blows his gasket to both of them um, in the um, as they walk down the race uh, on, the, on the final siren um, I, I tend to recall Winmar having some really nice moments in this game Harvey as, as you'd expect um, and then right at the end and, and you know, I, I think you touched on this when we were talking before the show there um, you know, see. So, there's a great moment. Dennis at the end, Dennis Cometti, um, he goes, oh, about the Saints,
2: after oh, so many years in the wilderness, the Saints are through the grand final. Yes, he has been so accurate. The Saints are through. Bring on the grand final. Heatley after the siren,
0: It won't be a score, but St Kilda. So
2: many
3: years in the wilderness are in the grand final. Um, I think um Heatley is, gonna, is actually having a shot the goal as the as the siren sounds. It's just he just Dennis just finds the word, doesn't he? Um, and just picked the pick brilliantly. Um you know, 20, is a long time between drinks. And, uh, and then the other great thing about the end of the game and the, and the seven broadcasts, uh, is that Stewie Lowe has just completely lost his voice. He's just, he, he's interviewed by Dipper on the ground. And it's one of the greatest interviews. He, oh, Dipper, they're just fantastic, the boys, I love the boys. It's just, it's just great. 11 years, Dipper, and this is what it's all about. can't wait. absolutely fantastic. The boys were sensational. let right? what with the guys down there.
1: Stewie, what sort of week was it? Just waiting for this game. Well, last week was a bit ordinary, not knowing who
3: yeah, we were going, going to play. But once we realised the boys really knuckled down, trained really hard,
2: and we come here with one name in mind, and that was to get the next week, and then swear by the big one next um, week. And
3: um, they march on, and it was a pretty wet night, as I recall. Um, and it's one of the great feelings in football where you you are the um, you're the first team into the grand final, and uh, you just have to wait to see who your um, who your opponent's going to be. And for a long time, the following day, it looks like it's going to be the Bulldogs.
0: We were denied the Cinderella Grand Final. Uh, we, that we might dwell on that in it if we ever do Wolf 1997 or uh, <laughs> The Pride of South Australia. Um, that's the uh, Adelaide Crows production. I get the feeling you haven't watched that one. I have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to get to the vital part of the 1997 season, the mission. Grand Final Week 1997. I think we want to focus that in on that more than the actual game itself, and that's more for your health and well-being, Daniel. <laughs> is, that, is that a fair call? Um, so we start Grand Final Week in '97. Uh, Halves wins the Brownlow. Uh, of course, Chris Grant is denied. That's a rough forty-eight hours for the Western Bulldogs. The poor old boys. Um, and then uh, you got John. They got the shot of John Kennedy, I think, who was the chairman of the AFL Commission at the time, raising the toast in that unique John Kennedy voice. I can't the, he, 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 he sounds more. It sounds more like Richard Nixon. Um. <laughs> St Kilda, R Harvey.
2: And I think everyone here, there could be no more worthy winner of the Brownlow Medal than Robert Harvey.
0: Then uh, Bruce, uh, in you know one of those post Bruce Brownlow interviews, he uh, tells uh, halves that they started to call him money bags. And then, uh, of course, uh, you know halves does he speak? They there, started but- to
1: call you money bags, haven't they? It used to be just banger and halves over the last uh, week, but uh, you've had a week like none other. I mean, you went into a preliminary final. You played brilliantly personally. The club has made its first grand final since 71. You've got a chance of being a premiership player. You won all the media awards during the week, and tonight you've won the big one.
0: Yeah, I mean, I obviously just wrapped with, um, with the way things have gone so far. I just, um, I just really hope that, um, that we, can, we can finish it off on Saturday. That's the, sort of, that's the main thing. Chris Grant aside, Robert Harvey, history will show Robert Harvey, of course, was very much worthy of that Brownlow medal. Oh, of
3: course. Um, and I think Harvey had won a lot of the other awards that year. Like I think he won the, the AFLPA's Most Valuable Player Award. Um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure he won plenty of the media awards as well. Um, he was already a, a very established, very good player. I think he was already at least a dual Australian by that point. Um, so, um, you know, obviously heartbreaking for Grant and, that, and you're right that was you know you do, <laughs> the the forty eight hours they had. So I think it was, <clears throat> it's there's some footage of um, there's some footage of Tony Libertore sitting there when he realizes what's happening and he just puts his hand in his head like a bit, Oh I can't believe this is happening to Chris Grant. Um and amazingly think uh, that it's only happened twice and it's happened in consecutive years. Um McKernan in ninety six and Chris Grant in ninety seven um being ineligible and um, and missing out on on Brownlow's that they uh, um, poles that they topped. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, I mean, the you know, he that the following year, didn't he, Harvey, when he ran away in the canter? Um, I think one of his 30, 32 votes when he wasn't quite as favoured, but um, oh, he was just so good. I mean, it's just the game was perfectly suited to him then as well because he's such a, a brilliant endurance athlete. Um, so he could just win so much of the ball. Um, you know, I know he wasn't noted as a great kick, but he was the master of that thinky little 25 metre pass. And there's something he said for that, you know, you're just a spot of a man on a lead. He was very good at that. Um, uh, whether it was Lockett, whether it was Lowe, whether it was, uh, Heatley or, you know, later in his career, Gary, Grewal, Kozitski. Um, and, um, I mean, just such a humble champion and, um, you know, one of the, one of the greats of the game and, and uh, you know, almost universally respected figure. Um, and, you know, certainly one of my heroes, you know, probably the biggest hero, of much often.
0: The perfect start to grand final week, as uh, Craig Willis uh, illustrates in, <laughs> in his narration. Then they have the Stan Elves and Malcolm Blight on talking footy in the post uh, Brownlow medal uh, edition. Um, and, and, yeah. they're, and they're having a bit of banter about what they're going to do, the two old North Melbourne Premiership teammates.
1: Stan, do you reckon Malcolm will play the three tools? Uh, do you think Keating will stay in and Pittman will come as well?
0: Malcolm yeah, <laughs> Malcolm, are
1: you going to a... play the three tools? Oh, <laughs> oh, is, is Robert Harvey and Nathan Burke and Stewie Lowe going to all play? All those blokes? Yeah, we're playing oh. halves in the ruck. Oh, okay. uh, there, so... Uh, yeah, I think he will. I you mean, do? yeah. I, I'm saying playing? that I'm saying that in the hope that you'll say, "Well, I won't do it now." Um, yeah.
0: One thing I remember about Grand Final week in 1997 and it was kind of similar probably a few years ago with the Bulldogs is the amount of sentiment and everyone in Melbourne getting behind St Kilda. Like I had everyone in Victoria was just it, it was it was a state of origin Grand Final with the Crows, but because it was the Saints, that sort of camaraderie everyone had, like I, I don't recall anyone at the time wishing ill of St Kilda that week.
3: Well, I mean, it's, it's one of the great um, myths that gets espoused every single year. And we have had, I think like the last uh, eight grand finals have been what, a Victorian club against a non-Victorian club. Mm. Um, and, and every single year they say, oh, you know, the, the hopes for Victoria will be like, well, no, that's just complete bullshit because the hopes for Victoria are not behind Collingwood. And I don't think they were behind Richmond anymore last year, you know, maybe in <laughs> 2017. But, but, you know, by the time they have 1-1, prove <laughs> you yourself to be such a pain, pain in the ass. Um, and you no, know, i a been behind Hawthorne. Um, again, certainly not by, um, you know, not by 2015, I wouldn't have thought. No. Um, but um, but when it is a St Kilda or a... Or, or, all overfoot scrape,
0: um, you know, maybe a July in 2007. Um, um, there, there was kind of good feeling towards the Swans in those Winter Swans. state ones, just with the South Melbourne
3: yeah. yeah, and probably there was some good sentiment towards the Lions because of the Fitzroy connection um, in 2001, I would have thought, especially in Bezzin.
0: Um
3: You know, and, they've, and they've, but if Melbourne ever happened <laughs> to make the Grand Final again, um, you know, I'm sure there'll be, or North, you know, I'm sure there'll be sentiment towards them, but, um yeah so i know you i think you're right and, and also this was a stage where the crows were this was still in the early days of the of, 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 the, of the national competition and and it hadn't quite oh you know of a, of a truly national competition and um i think the crows were sort of seen as interstate invaders still it was and they were seen as south australia rather than the crows mm. um so i think there was a lot less um a lot less goodwill towards them than. than you know, you might get towards uh, the giants or even the Dockers um, now, um, uh, which is saying since 2013. Um, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I was at training. I think I don't think, I don't think we went on the Thursday night, but I think we went on the Tuesday night, and it was obviously packed. And you know, we went to the grand final parade. Um, and you, and, and, and as you touch on, I think um, in the notes in the video, you see Doc Warlock gets interviewed, and I mean, he had his. Um, health issues and, and was very prone to getting very emotional. That was one of the things because I think he had he had strokes. So he would often he was very prone to tearing up.
2: Past players were in the limelight.
1: It'd be um, very emotional to me personally, and then I can't talk, and I'd be embarrassed. So uh, rather than put myself through that stress of doing that, uh, I'm better off here and enjoy the game better.
3: Um, and he cheered up in this interview. So yeah, the sentiment was completely behind him. That was such a Cinderella team, like the Bulldogs. You know, having come from the bottom of the ladder early in the year, um, this is only a couple of years after the Save Our Saints campaign. You know, these, a lot of these clubs have been, um, you know, have been um, on the on the breadline, um, and uh, you know, there was a lot of good feeling towards the Saints heading into the '97 Grand Final.
0: I also remember Poiter from Full Frontal Eric Banner, aka Poiter, being <laughs> part of the 1997 Grand Final parade in a St Kilda jumper.
2: Pretty sweet. All oh, Saints.
3: It's just It does show you that even in those days there was cross-promotion and sort of this, this bizarre kitsch sort of stuff. Like, you do think now, like, I think, I remember people sort of scoffing at the Australian Idol guy, you know, people present, you know, doing grand final entertainment or, you know, Seven sort of painstaking, you know, all that cross-promotion, of Seven and Nine, and, you know, Richie Benno having to talk about, um, you know, the block or... Um, uh, you, know, you know, coming up after the tennis and all that sort of stuff that people have seen um, so much uh, in recent times. But it does show that even then, um, it was really this ridiculous kit stuff. But of course, Eric Banner, um, you know, very passionate for kill man, um, still to this day, um, often seen uh, at the kill games or, or, or in the rooms um, when he's not being mistaken for um, his doppelganger Dean Anderson, who's a director and former player, um, and the father of. Um, number two, traffic,
0: Noah Anderson. But uh, yeah, it's just it's, it's pretty funny to, to see. Now, Danny McGinlay mentioned in an earlier edition of the podcast, he made he wasn't doing the video, but he was mentioning in Wolf nineteen ninety seven. Everyone knows to turn off uh, when they get to the preliminary <laughs> final. Um, I managed to watch what they've included from the grand final, and it's it's pretty minimal. Um, they show the Saints running out onto the ground. Uh, They show Marina Pryor singing the national anthem...
3: Another 50 Georgetown
0: Marina Prior. It's, it's actually one of the great um, sayings at the football rather than where was his Prior, you ask where was his Marina. But that's that's very niche. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a very niche just, uh, catch cry in the crowd. Um, and then there's shots of Tubby Taylor in the crowd. It was an Ashes year 1997. So I guess they were the guests of honour at the grand final. Show some early highlights because the Saints started pretty well. There's that goal from Ozzy Jones. <laughs>
1: Jones, the length of the ground nearly. 60 out. Will he take the ball on? handle inside to
2: Thompson. A fumble. Back. Aussie Jones goes with the left. Kicks it. And
0: gets it. What a goal. Uh, and then they sort of just fast forward through. And then, yeah, there's a shot of Adelaide winning the grand final. So they do include the final siren there just for, I don't know who made that call, but someone thought, no, it needs to be included because it's part of the story. So there's nothing left now but to celebrate.
2: The final margin, 31 points. And just like the Saints of 65, the men of 97 had finished top, started red-hot favourites, and lost to a team that finished fourth.
0: I want to get to the ending, though. Um, Again, Stan Elves, another star of this fantastic film, The Mission, 1997. And I think his post-grand final speech at the Carlton Crest Hotel just sums up the emotional coach that he was. I'm hurting for me,
1: boys. Because I've never been so proud of of anybody in my life for what they've done this year.
3: Yeah, yeah, um, and I, I think it's also worth noting against the backdrop of this speech and, and just the whole game and what happened that um, they've had a, you know, it was not an ideal lead-up because Nicky Winmar's father had died, and Stan and, um, and Stewie Low had had a a, a a very private personal hardship in the in the in the days leading up to the grave so that uh, which. Um, you know, you could see it really severely disrupted his preparation. Um, uh, and plus, the, the injuries to Everett and Vitavic. So, it, it was not as though everything had gone right. Um, and they, they played this tremendous first, pretty solid first half without being spectacular. Ozzy Jones keeps that great, you know, all, um, you know, all turns uh, to um when um, Jamie gets a hold of Shanahan. But um, Al's, yeah, this speech at the Carlton Crest. Um it is moving, you know, I'm hurting I'm hurting, you know, I'm so I'm hurting for my boys, I'm so bloody proud. Um it's it you know, even now you look back and it's it's pretty moving stuff. Um and again it just shows that he's just such just he's just sort of a very um just a sincere um um sort of stoic figure and um <clears throat> um uh, a very honourable figure and he and he does come on even even in a and the, the immediate aftermath of the grand final when you see Wade Jackson hugging Nicky Winmar on the ground and then you see Light and Owls as they walk out. Like Owls is so magnanimous in their feet, sort of, you know, puts his arm around his former North Melbourne Premiership teammate and, and congratulates him. Um, yeah, it, it says a lot. And then there's this... Um, and then they get up there and the, the boys have... I mean, I don't know whether you, you do this now. Um, and I, You can argue that this is sort of... I think... <clears throat> Like Kevin Sheedy famously said at that two up uh, the eighty three grand final that he was that he he wanted the guys to hurt more and that um he, he sort of um <clears> that inspired them into, into the performances in eighty four and eighty five when they won the premierships at first but uh and I think fans of maybe ultra successful clubs might say, you know, the fact that the Saints players stood up there at the Carlton Crest and sung the club song <coughs> excuse me, speaks to a mediocrity or a or a um uh, An acceptance of an acceptance that that, 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 you know far enough is good enough, Um, but I think it also spoke to the um, the the, the tremendous more than anything. I I think the reason for it it spoke to the tremendous pride, and I think Alves wanted his guys to feel proud of themselves and to to realise that it has been a tremendous achievement to make the grand final, you know, the club for the first time in 26 years. I mean, it's not to be sneezed.
2: Oh, well the sense, come on, Sydney.
1: Oh, when the saints
2: go marching in, oh how I want to be a seaguller! Oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, when the saints go marching in, oh, when the saints go marching oh how I want to be a seaguller! Oh, when the
3: saints go marching in, and uh, it's a pretty poignant way to. Of- for the documentary to end because I think as I recall it then pans into them seeing the room, um, as a closing credit plays, the, um, them sing the song after the preliminary final in the room, uh, if I'm not mistaken.
0: It does. That's how it ends. And Dan, on that note, um, we could talk, I, I get the feeling, we could talk about the mission. We could probably do a uh, ten-part podcast series devoted <laughs> to the mission, 1997. But I've managed to get you for an hour and a bit, and I think, uh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on uh, as part of the Australian Football Video Film Festival, reviewing this film, The Mission, St Kilda in 1997. Overall, what's your uh, what's what? How many stars would you give the mission? How would you sum up the mission?
3: Uh, I think um, I think a must-watch for any. Uh, Any down and, and, and I think um, well worth it for anyone who um, who, who wants to recall a, a, a great era of footy um, and footy broadcasting. So I, I think I'd give it a four stars.
0: Four Just stars. The ending, and yeah, who, the ending could probably be a bit better. Uh, yeah, the ending could be better. Um, who's the major star? Do you think? Do you think it's uh, Stan Alves, Robert Harvey, <laughs> Jason Heatley, or Craig Willis?
3: I think it's got to be Craig Willis. As much as I love all the others, I think it's got to be Craig Willis. Um, Yeah, and uh, with a a special mention to Andrew Clifton.
0: Daniel Cherney, thank you so much for joining us on the Australian Football Video Film Festival. It's been a pleasure.
3: Uh, Likewise, Dylan. Thanks for having me.
0: Journey there, reviewing The Mission, St Kilda's 1997 season. Uh, probably one from the more, uh, how would I say, tragedy range from the Australian Football Video Collection. But important piece of cinema, an important storytelling that needs to be told. Uh, and, of course, the brilliance of Craig Willis there for all to see. This is the Australian Football Video Film Festival, with thanks to leagetease.com.au. I am Dylan Leach. Hey, thanks to everyone for all your kind reviews and feedback uh, for making this podcast. We're having a ball making it. Um, And uh, everyone who's come on has had a great time. So uh, it's an absolute joy to make, and we really appreciate the uh, good response we've been getting. Now, if you want to watch the mission, St Kilda in 1997... Um, if you're a Saints fan, or more importantly, a fan of Craig Willis, uh, the actual video is in the podcast description there. Uh, of course, don't forget to have a look at the uh, great range of uh, gear at leaguetees.com.au, our fabulous sponsors. Um, if you want to get in touch with the program, you most certainly can. We are on the social medias, uh, your Facebook and Twitters of the world, at AFV Film Festival. That's on both platforms. Uh, and of course, if you are listening to us. Uh, maybe on Apple Podcasts or one of the podcast platforms, please please feel free to leave us a review um, and tell your friends we exist or people you, you just know that we exist because uh, the more people, the merrier, we say. Next week, well, we've got a beauty for you in next week's edition of the Australian Football Video Film Festival. Author, public speaker, uh, just all-round journeyman, uh, former under-19s player as well. Uh, Tony Wilson joins me. And we're going to be reviewing the classic from the year 2000, Dermot Brereton's Hits and Memories. This is a celebration of five-time day, five-time night, Dermot Brereton. You don't have to be a Hawthorne fan to enjoy this one. This is an absolute beauty. Uh, We can't wait to share it with you next week. This has been the Australian Football Video Film Festival. My name's Dylan Leach. We'll catch you soon.